Well, welcome everyone here this evening. We want to thank you for your presence and thank you for the support that you've given in this meeting. Uh, this meeting has been well attended. We've had uh, great crowds every night. And I want to commend the young folks for the energy that they brought into this room uh, in singing these songs and in praising God. I want to ask you a question. Do you feel like you've glorified God this week? Amen. We have. I believe that. And the reason we've done that is because He is God and we're not. And He's worthy of our glory, of His glory. He's worthy of our praise. He is worthy in every way. When we sing these songs like Sing to Me of Heaven, we're singing to each other and reminding each other that they're comrades that have gone on before us, but someday we'll join them. And it's all because of the wonderful grace and mercy and power of Jesus Christ that you and I are here this evening. And he is worthy of our praise. And you brought that energy into this room and we've had a wonderful week. It's because of you that we've had this week because you put yourself into it. The week is not over. <laughs> we've got tonight and then we've got tomorrow. And uh, I'm really regretting seeing this end. But I want to encourage you to let this energy and this worship and this glorifying God continue in your life every day. Let's do that. He's worthy. He is our Savior. We want to worship him. This evening, I want to uh, talk with you for a few minutes from the book of Haggai. We have a few passages we want to read, not many. This is an interesting book. There's only two chapters in the book, and it was written uh, a few hundred years before Jesus came. It's a minor prophet of Haggai. And Haggai has received a message that he is to convey to the children of Israel after their bondage to Babylon. Israel has been carried off into Babylonian captivity. Their cities have been made to shambles. The temple has been made to shambles. Nothing but rocks and bricks and wood and dirt and all of those things. And now... After this period of time in Babylonian captivity, we see that Israel's commerce is beginning to start up again. People are planting crops. People are having a life of everyday life. They're going to cities, to their city, and they're, they're buying and selling, and they're having all of those things that we enjoy so much. We experienced last year a slowdown in our commerce where we, it was very difficult for us to do the things that we're used to doing. Can you imagine what they went through in the Babylonian captivity? And now after that has taken place, Haggai receives a message that he is to give. In the second chapter of Haggai, the very last chapter, verse 4, the scripture says, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and be strong. All you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I have covenanted with you when you come out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. I want you to notice those three statements. Be strong. 
work. Don't be afraid. Now, the fear that he's talking about there is a fear that we've talked about uh, this week. A fear that says, I'm not going to be timid. I'm going to be bold because my God goes before me. He blazes the path to victory in everything that I do. Jesus said, we're going to the other side, and brethren, we're going to the other side. We look for that land in that country, and we look for it by faith. We're going to be strong. We're going to work. We're not going to fear. Because God is with us. The very first chapter of Haggai, chapter 1, and when this message comes to Haggai, he says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. The people are questioning whether or not it is time. The second chapter, we see this admonition. Be strong. Work. Be courageous. Don't fear. Hold up God because he is God. Glorify him. But you have to work. You have to be strong. Carry this out. Now, in this first chapter, the people say, oh, it's not time yet. Not time. Time will come, but it's not yet. I've talked to a lot of people that said that about their salvation. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. The time, the time is not yet. I could tell you countless stories of the experiences I've had with people that wanted to wait, and some have waited to the 11th hour. Some, God has been long-suffering and gracious and allowed them to go to the 11th hour and obey the gospel. Others, not. I visited with a young man in St. Thomas Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee, not too long ago. And he wanted to be baptized, but it was too late. The moment they unhooked the machine, he would die. The very moment. That's what the doctor said, you can't do it. I couldn't even get him in the water, under the water, soon enough. He was 31 years old. 31. And I had to walk out of that room. Because he had waited. And the time had not come for him. Verse 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple to lie in ruins? Understand, here's what's going on. Babylon has carried the children of Israel into captivity. They have held them in captive and they have enslaved them. They have tormented them. They have ruined their cities. They have ruined the temple of God. The temple of God is a place where they could go and where they could offer sacrifice. And it was a message to all the world that there is a God, a one true God. And the Babylonian, Babylons have taken that and they've destroyed it. Now Haggai says, hold it a minute. Commerce is picking back up in your life. You're building your houses back. You're planting crops. 
And you think it's time for that, don't you? And the temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I think this is one of the strongest messages to us in our current time. It's one of the strongest messages, brethren, that we can take to our own personal life. We live in our paneled houses. I think the King James translates that as sealed houses or a house with a ceiling. (laughs) With a roof over the top of it. Where you could be warm and you could be comfortable and you could be dry. But the house of God lies in ruins. Now I believe all of this is a type, anti-type if you will, of us and our spiritual life. And we can accumulate... All of our money, all of our crops, we could accumulate, 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 eat, 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 drink, 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 and be merry and be hungry. What a paradox. And that's what, when we look around our society today, and even maybe in your life, I don't know, you'll have to consider your ways. Do you have enough? We used to have a joke out there at work uh, of us old-timers. When is enough enough? Everybody out there that I, I worked around wanted to retire. Well, when is enough enough? When is enough enough for you? Are we putting our life into a bag with holes? We can't store up these things. It's impossible. And that's exactly what the children of Israel were trying to do. That's exactly the message of God to Haggai to tell us, quit. Quit living that way. Now that doesn't mean that it's wrong for you to have a savings account. I'm not trying to go off into those worlds that are foolish and unlearned. But unless we set our priorities... At the end of our life, all we're going to have are these things. We're going to have a drink and not be satisfied. We're going to have, a food, have food, but not be filled. We're going to have wages, but we're going to put that money into a bag that you can't keep. I think the uh, psalmist says that uh, money is like, or Proverbs, it says that money is, has wings that flies away. Boy, that's been my experience. I haven't been able to hold on to it. People accuse me of that tie, but it doesn't happen. (laughs) And you don't have the first dollar you ever owned. I don't care if they claim that you do. You don't. It's gone. We, We put them in bags with holes, and it disappears. So the message here then in Haggai is let's set our priorities. Let's take care of our spiritual matters first. I may be talking to someone this evening who is very, very young. 
And you may think you have the rest of your life. And I hope, I hope you've got years. I hope you've got decades and scores. I hope you can live to be 120. Let's set your priorities tonight. If you've never obeyed the gospel, set your priority. I'm going to do that first. I'm going to, work, I'm going to be concerned about that first before I'm concerned about the rest of my life of a secular job. And when I start to go out and plant these fields then, I have set my priorities correctly. I'm going to live like God told me to live. I'm going to serve Him and I'm going to glorify Him. I'm going to exalt His name because He is God. It's a message of priorities. The people say it's not time. God says it's time. And we don't know how close that time is to when God draws a close to it. And we don't have that time any longer. The, this people say this time has not come. And keep desiring to put it off, delay, delay, delay. And maybe I'm talking to an old person here this evening. And an old person, what you qualify as an old person is somebody that's older than me, okay? I'm talking to an older person and maybe you have delayed in your life and you spent your life putting things into a bag with holes in it. It's disappeared. I want to tell you about a man in our community. His family called me and they said, Mark, our dad has cancer. Would you come down and talk to him? I went down there to his house. He had never obeyed the gospel. He was 80 80 plus years old. I studied with him and he was baptized that day. He'd spent his entire life living without Christ. Oh, what a wonderful God we serve. How gracious and how long-suffering he is with us. He was baptized that day. Two, two months later they called me and I'd been, of course I'd been visiting with him all that time and trying to help him in any number of ways to have faith and to build his faith. Uh, two, two months later they called me and said, Mark, our dad has moments to live. Would you mind coming and talking to him? He is scared. So I went down there. And he was moments, literally minutes away from dying and he said, these are the words he used. And you can place the meaning on them. It's a hillbilly talk, so to speak. But it's still, uh, I think I, I understood what he meant. And we might not phrase things like this out here, but there's many people in our part of the country might. But he said, I passed the Lord by three times in my life. He was lying there on his deathbed. His priorities had been all wrong his whole life. He's lying there moments away from meeting the Lord. And he says, I passed the Lord by three times in my life. And now I'm afraid he will pass me by. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Now, I don't, you know, I trust our Lord. I trust him for justice. I trust him for mercy. 
I wouldn't know what else to do with this gentleman, this brother in Christ, except what I did. My point on this is he'd lived his entire life placing other things ahead of his relationship with the Lord. And when it came dying time, even though he had obeyed the gospel in the 11th and a half hour, he was in fear. He did not die in confidence. I trust our Lord. I don't want you to find yourself in that position. When time comes for you to pass through this veil of time that we live in, I want you to be able to die and to die in confidence, to die in victory, to know that the Lord walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death and you can fear no evil. But you can't do that unless you set your priorities. It's a message of priorities. How am I going to live? Who am I going to serve? It's a mystery to me how we think that we can live for the devil our whole life and then die with the Lord. I'm asking you tonight, if you are subject to this call to change your life, and you change your life by making a decision that I'm no longer going to walk down this path of saying the time is not come. Brethren, the time is come. It's now. This quote comes from a self-help book, if you will. I generally don't share self-help books. I don't, uh, I don't share uh, generally a person that's trying to make you rich. I'm not concerned about your money. I'm not. I'm glad you got what you got. I'm thankful for that. Use it for the right thing. Use it for the right reason. But I'm not trying to help you get rich, only spiritually. I want you wealthy spiritually, and God does too. But it says, while you may succeed beyond your fondest hopes and your greatest expectations, you will never succeed beyond the purpose to which you're willing to surrender. Boy, isn't that the truth? In our priorities and setting our priorities, we establish priorities every day in our life. And we determine what we're going to surrender to and who we're going to surrender to. And we will never succeed in anything, even the secular world. And this man recognizes that. We're not going to succeed in the secular world unless we surrender to that which we're trying to succeed in. And I believe that, but I believe this is also, even though this man had no idea that there is a spiritual application to this, this is so true spiritually. We're wanting to be holy, we're wanting to be righteous, we're wanting to be uh, the child of God, but we're unwilling to surrender. Peter found in his life, as we discussed last night, he had to get to the end of himself and say, Lord, you know all things and I'm willing to surrender to you. I don't know anything. And when we can get to that point in our life and we're willing to surrender to the Lord unconditionally, then we can start to have success as a Christian. Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the same message that Haggai had to his people. And Jesus simply is using the same message. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inspired Haggai. And it's a paradox. If I'm going to keep, save my life, I have to give my life up. I have to surrender. If I'm going to be rich in heaven, I have to become poor to the world. In other words, it's not my priority. I'm not living for the world. God blesses us beyond measure. We live in a blessed community, a blessed world, a blessed country. And even though we live in a destroyed world, we still receive the God's blessings, and they are universal when it comes to physical needs. But if I'm going to surrender to gain that spiritual victory, I have to surrender completely. I have to give my life and say, my life is not mine, it's yours, Lord. Matthew 6, in a passage every one of us know, and I grew up hearing this passage and probably never fully understanding it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. It's a matter of priorities. You know, I said earlier this week that those who obey the gospel, I don't care what you were in the past, who are you now? You're God's child. We're baptized that we might be a doctor or a lawyer. We might be a farmer. We might make our living in any number of ways. We might be a student, but that doesn't matter. Who are we now? We're God's child. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What, would, what does that look like, really? When we're talking about setting priorities and living our life and seeking first the kingdom of God, what will our lives look like? I want to uh, give you a few things to think about. Simple. Things that we can make application to in our life. First of all, the ba we, by giving ourselves to the kingdom of God and setting that priority that we're going to live for Christ and Him first, we're going to give the best of ourselves and not our leavings. If you make that picture out, what that picture is, is a picture of a cup of coffee. Now where that came from is Robin and I, before she had her knee surgery, we haven't been able to do it since, but we went out and ate. And this restaurant, it was a pretty nice restaurant. We, it was a little bit better than McDonald's. I told her I'm gonna treat you big. Uh, because you're going to go under the knife. And so we, it wasn't Hardy's, or what do y'all call it, Carl's Jr. out here. <laughs> it was not. It was a sit-down restaurant, and I ordered a cup of coffee. Now imagine that, Diana, that I would order a cup of coffee. And they brought this out. Would you want that? <laughs> You, you, would, you, would you like a cup of coffee with dregs in it? Ugh. Now, I want to tell you, they brought this out so they could show me. And this is a representation. This is not the literal cup, but it looked like that. So they could show me how they thought about me as a customer. They said, uh, sir, we are so sorry, but we're not going to serve you this cup of coffee. I said, thank you. 
We're not going to serve. We're going to go back and we're going to make you another cup, but we're showing you this because we want you to be patient and understand we're having difficulty with our coffee maker. And I thought of Diana. I, I, I promise I did. I said, let's call her and let's figure out how to work this thing. So they went back. And they came back out five minutes later. I'm sitting and waiting on my cup of coffee. They said, we still haven't got it. And they showed me another cup. You know why? Because they valued my business. They valued what I had brought into that restaurant. Robin, no. (laughs) They valued my dollars. And they didn't want to serve me a nasty cup of coffee. They finally got it right. I finally got my good cup of coffee. My point? Why in the world would we operate business like that on those good policies? I'm going to give my customers the best. When they leave my place, they're going to know that they've been to the best because they're going to send other people. And then we offer our dregs to God? Numbers 18, 12 says, all the best of the oil, talking about the sacrifices to be given, all the best of new wine and the grain, their first fruits, first fruits, that's the best. Those of us who have a garden, we understand and appreciate the first fruits. That's the best. It's the tastiest, it's the tenderest, which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. And then we want to offer God the dregs. Do I have to be more explicit with you? Do you give the world your best every day and then you come in at night and you want to spend two minutes with the Lord? Now I commend you for wanting to spend time with the Lord, period. And most of the world and most people will say at least he's praying. Maybe you spend your whole week And you give the job and you give the world the very best of what you've got. Because you want that promotion. Because you want that accolade from the boss. Because you want that bank account to be filled up. You go to school, you give the school your best. But it's okay to give the Lord the dregs. He's worthy of our best. I've been to this assembly all week, and I have seen, in my mind, on many nights, the best. I've seen people come in here, and they offer their best. I commend you. Praise God for that. Let's not adopt an attitude in our life that we can offer God the leavings and the dregs of our life. He deserves the best of our service. Preachers don't make a mistake of giving God the leavings. Don't make a mistake of giving His people the leavings. Do the best you can. Give 110%. As they say on the football field, lay it all out. Give it all. That's setting priorities. If you'll do it in a football field, do it in the church. 
Give everything. And when your life is used up and it's spent, you'll say, I've given everything to God. Give it all. Our life will take on a picture of trying to bring every part of our life under his teaching because his way is right. When I start setting priorities, my life is going to be taken under his direction and understanding that his teaching is right. I love the passage in, uh, that, where Paul tells the young evangelist to teach the uh, older women to teach the younger women to be a teacher of good things. I love that. It involves much more than just Bible verses. I want you, I want you mothers to train your children to quote Bible verses, to memorize it. As a child, you'll never, they, they won't forget it. They'll take it with them their whole life. Now, if they wait till they're 65 years old and start trying to memorize, good luck. Give them the best. Teach them good things. A good way to live. A good way to pick a husband or a wife. Teach them good morals. Listen, teach them good dress. Good things. Teach them not to be prideful. Teach them that it's not all about them, but it's about the Lord. That's setting priorities. That's setting preference. Mothers, don't let your daughters go out and bear nakedness. That's old-timey preaching, isn't it? But it's true. Dads, don't let your sons be disrespectful. Teach them good things. Let, teach your children to respect other people. Teach them good things. We try to bring every part of our life under his teaching because his way is right and our way is not. Teach them good things. Set priorities in your life. Matthew 22 and 35, the scripture says that one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to, you, to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened unto it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Setting priorities, then, is to teach and to live to be where I set and establish God as king. Don't put yourself up on high center. You'll fall off. And the higher you go in your mind and in your life, the, fall, the further you'll have to fall. Put God on high center to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, and the second is likened unto it. And if I may quote, you can't love God if you don't love people. And it's the truth. And it's not the truth because Ty Fleming says it. It's not the truth because Mark Parkhurst says it. It's the truth because Jesus said it.
we learn to bring every part of our life under his direction. Number three, we start submitting our lives. We start living a life of obedience. So if I'm going to start bringing all of my life in this framework, in this boundary of the teachings of Christ, then I have to start submitting. Romans 6 and 16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? We make a decision. I can't make it for you. I wish I could. It would be an easy decision for me. But I can't make it for you. I can only make it for myself. And that's who I'm going to submit to. Am I going to submit to the flesh? Am I going to submit to the, the system of the world, of every man for himself, and the devil take the hind part? That's the world. Am I going to submit to that? Or am I going to submit to Jesus? I'm calling you tonight to submit to Jesus. Become obedient to him. Glorify him through your obedience. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus calls you to live an obedient life. His commandments are not grievous. They're the best. We, we should never start looking at commandments as something grievous and hard to bear. Those are man's commandments that are grievous and hard to bear. Those are the ones that bring about oppression. Those are the ones that bring about torment. But Jesus' commandments are not hard. These are the commandments that if we will submit to him, he will manifest himself to us. We start seeing love. We start seeing love from other people. People start seeing love from us. The psalmist says that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Everybody talks about letting their light shine. And you have a light. It's called your life. God gave you life and you have that. But there is a greater light that can shine from you and through you and to you. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. A man cannot give off this radiant light without God gives that light to him and shines through him. No wonder Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. The second is likened unto it, to love his neighbor as himself. Because God's light shines through us to other people and manifests God in a dark, dark world. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from every form of evil. Now the King James Version, which I'm accustomed to because I'm old, says all appearance of evil. If I'm going to submit my life, I have also to be concerned with the appearance or in the New King James uh, word, form. And a form is simply the appearance. It's, it means the same thing. If, uh, when I look at a form, I'm looking at appearance of something. 
When I look in a, in a mirror and I look at myself, I'm seeing an appearance of myself. I'm not seeing myself literally, but I'm seeing a form of it and an appearance of it. And it's very uh, accurate, of course. But I, I have to be concerned with the form and with the appearance of evil. Ask yourself, how do I appear? How do I look to people? Submit our lives to Christ. As I continue and I start this journey of putting Christ first in my life, I'll submit my home. I'll submit my home. When I sit down at the table with my family, Jesus is at the head of that table when I start putting him first. When I'm in a private conversation, I know that Jesus is listening. I know that he hears. When I'm all alone by myself and I'm looking at something on some kind of virtual reality, I know that I am with the Lord and that he sees, that he knows. I submit my home. Ephesians 6 and 6. Actually, it's 6 verse 1. Sorry for the typo. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And your fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. All of these are simple, fundamental instructions of how you are to design your home, how you are to live in your home, how you are to guide your home as the head of the home, dads, and how you are to nurture your home and to guard your home, mothers. But if I'm not going to set priorities in my life, then my, my home can become a shambles. I don't know how many of you have ever looked at that term where the scripture gives a, the direction for a woman or a mother to be a keeper at home. What that literally means is that the woman becomes the guardian of the home. Now, if I'm a guardian and I'm a sentry of the home, I'll tell you what I'm doing if I'm a sentry. I'm first of all, I'm going to be careful and I'm going to look and I'm going to watch and to see what's around my home. I'm going to view the dangers of what's around my home. And when the dangers get too close to my home, if I'm guarding my home, I'm going to act on those dangers and I'm not going to allow my children to make the decision that I should be making. I'm going to guard When I guard my home as a mother, I'm guarding what comes in, but I'm also guarding what goes out. If I'm a guardian of my home, mother, then I'm going to guard what goes out of my home. Now, we all make mistakes, and we all are taken in sometimes by our naivete. But I want to tell you, when our little girls were little, very little, 
Halloween rolled around. And my wife went to town to get our daughter, our youngest daughter, a Halloween costume, and she brought it back. And it was a costume for a six-year-old that was lewd and lascivious. My wife saw that as a costume by the wrappings. It was packaged deceptively. There are so many designs of evil that they are after our children. Satan is after your child. Would we open that up? I said, there's no way my daughter's going to wear that. I don't care if she's six years old. And my wife said, I didn't know. I didn't know. My wife was naive in that. And I've been so naive in the past too. And I'm not trying to throw my wife under the bus on this. She didn't mean anything by it. She thought it was a Halloween costume. But I'm going to tell you it was a Hollywood Halloween costume. Designed to appeal to a little girl's eyes that when they get older, they did not see a shock value at all. There was no shock value in some of these things. There was no shock to it when you get older. This is carried forth over and over and over again. That's one experience. It was our experience. Walmart got that package back. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that we sent that back, and I'm thankful that we were watchful. And when we opened it up, we were shocked. Get shocked. But you're not going to be shocked if you're not watching. And if you're not guarding your home, you're not going to be shocked. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. I want to challenge every man here this evening, if you're going to set priorities in your life tonight, set priorities in your life, you bring up your child. That means train your child. If you can't do a Bible study, learn how to do a Bible study. Sit down with your child and teach them. You're guarding them. The training and the admonition of the Lord. Quit worrying about whether or not they're going to be a baseball or a football star. If it comes, that's great. Enjoy that. But that's not a priority. I'm now a grandparent. I spend time with my boys, primarily talking to them about evangelism, about eldership. They're 11 and 9 years old. And I teach them and I try to tell them, I know that I'm imperfect and I know that I'm failing. I know that I've got failures in that. I concede that. But brethren, we've got to try. We can't just quit and say I'm inept. But I can make a spreadsheet that will blow your mind. Bring up your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. 
If we're going to operate where God comes first and the kingdom of heaven first, we start operating our families by God principles, respecting one another's needs. Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Submitting to one another, submitting to one another, submitting to one another. Now, this is not talking about submitting because somebody's selfish or because they are uh, conceited to the point that they want their way and everything, but it says to the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord and the respect of God. We're framing our life by His perimeters. Those parameters that we're framing our life by come from this book, and we need to know this book, and then we become submissive to each other. What does that mean? It means that if you're hurting, it's important to me. It means that if you need help, it's important to me. It means that I'm looking to see how I can help you. It means that I'm going to be concerned about your feelings. I'm going to be concerned about your desires and about your goals, and not necessarily secular goals. I'm not trying to make you rich, I'm sorry. But I didn't drive 1,100 miles to make you rich, except rich in the Lord. I'm going to be concerned about your spiritual goals because nothing else matters, because everything else is a basket with holes in it. We will be submissive to our assemblies and in our assemblies. We will respect them. We will honor our assemblies. Why? Because God ordained it. I will not forsake the assembling of myself together with my brethren. Why? Because number one, God ordained it. Number two is they need me. Number three, I need them. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16 says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by, that every, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body of the edifying of itself in love. You see, I can't exist by myself. I'll die. I'll die just as surely as a part of my body if it were cut off. If a member of my body was cut off and severed from my body, it's going to die. The same is true for you, spiritually. I will submit then, then to the assembling of ourselves together because I need your heat. I need your fire. I need your zeal. I need your dedication, and you're willing to share it with me, but if I'm not here, I can't receive it. We'll remember that in the assemblies in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, the Apostle Paul writes, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. The way the assembly is structured and the way that we carry it out, we become submissive. Why? Because these are the commandments of the Lord. Our time will be spent in things that grow us toward God, even if it means cutting other things out and severing those things. We will value our time if we're putting Christ first, but we'll value it in the point 
And to the point that I'm going to see how many hours of the day that I can devote to Christ. And if it means that I'm going to cut other things out of my life, that if I'm going to put Christ first, I'm going to set my priorities and I'm going to cut things out of my life. How busy we are. 1 Peter 2 and 2 says, Therefore laying aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, evil, envy and all evil, speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I apologize for the stumbling, but I'm used to reading, using King James Version. <laughs> and trying to quote that and read this at the same time, I get a little tongue-tied. I apologize for that. We lay aside things so we can grow. We lay aside things in our life that are hindering us, like the deceit and the hypocrisy. Quit being, quit being phony. God don't want plastic people. He knows who you are. And just being phony in the hypocrisy of being trying to convey an image of something that you're not, God knows. Let's be real. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, let's grow. Our lives revolve around worship. If we're going to put Christ first, they revolve around fellowship. They revolve around the gifts that God has given us. Every day we wake up, we look at all the gifts that God has given us. We look at the gift of worship and the gift of fellowship, the gift of Christ. Let's revolve around that. Let's start a life where we're converted from the past of desiring these things of the flesh. Let's start to grow. Let's start to change where God can use us. Hebrews 10 and 3 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to stir up good love and good works. If we marry... If that's in your cards, pick somebody that's going to help you live a Christian life if you're going to put God first. My goodness, the world is so filled with things that will hinder you from living a Christian life. Don't pick a mate that's going to hinder you. You'll have to make hard decisions and you'll have to make decisions that are, are grievous to be born when that happens. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Yes, I do believe that involves many things, but I also believe it involves marriage. I want to tell you about a woman in Alabama that I knew when I was a young man, but her husband refused to take her to church. He had nothing to do with the Church of Christ. He was prejudiced against the Church of Christ. He made it plain that he did not want anything to do with the Church of Christ to the point that he would not take her to church. You say, well, that's, well, that's fair enough. I mean, let him stay at home. But the problem is, is she lived in a time where not many women knew how to drive. She did not know how to drive. I know that's hard to conceive in this world, but trust me. It's the way it was. 
She could have said, I'm not going to deal with this, but she decided not to. Her children were little. She had a boy and a girl. And she would walk to church. Her husband was so bitter that he would allow her to walk to church. And she had to walk a good distance. Church members would come along and pick him up and take him for a ride to the church building. Most of the time, sometimes, didn't pan out that way. She walked to the church anyway. Now, what was the cause of that? Well, number one, she had a husband that was bitter against Christ and against the church. Number two is she married a man who was bitter against Christ and the church. And she had a, da- a husband who became the daddy of her children who was bitter against Christ and the church. Now, we see that as a very uh, exaggerated thing, and we don't, and so, well, I'm, I'll never do that, but I'm telling you, there's many ways that someone can hinder you. And these young people tonight need to understand that. You need to understand that. Pick you out a mate, fall in love with a person that's going to help you go to heaven. And you help them go to heaven. There's enough hindrances without that. Finally, if we're going to put Christ first, we're going to take time to evaluate. Haggai 1 and 6 says, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat and you do not have. What about your life? You keep working, 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 and no satisfaction. You keep eating and eating and eating of the world's goods, but there's no filling Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's a filling with Christ. And our cup runs over, truly. We drink, but we're not filled with drink. And we clothe ourselves, but we're not warm. If you're without Christ tonight, that's your story. We earn wages, and the wages just go into a bag with holes. Take time this evening to see what direction you're going in. Let Haggai and his uh, exhortation to Israel be the exhortation to you. I will look at this, and I will follow the compass of the Scripture. I'll let the Scripture direct my life, and I will go to Christ who can save me, and I will empty myself at the foot of the cross. And I will say with Peter, Lord, thou knowest all things. And I will become obedient to you. The children of Israel decided that they would obey. In the last passage that we're going to read this evening, and I'll leave it with you. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. The temple was built. Worship was again restored. God was placed on the high throne where he deserves to be. Will, he, will you do that this evening? If you're without Christ tonight, come, take a seat on the front, and there'll be someone here to help you. Come as we stand and sing.